Did you know you can support your local independent bookstore and me in my efforts to promote books that feature women in aviation by shopping for your next aviatrix read on the Literary Aviatrix website? I built the website to serve as a central source to search and find books featuring women in aviation, and it was important to me to offer you the opportunity to buy from independent sellers. If the book you're interested in is available on bookshop.org, you'll find a link to purchase through my affiliate account on my website, which means I'll receive a small portion of the sale to support the content you love. Blue skies and happy reading. Carlene Pettit, welcome. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to you about our book club book for this month and all of your other work. But first, I need to hear about this incredible aviation career that you've had. Tell us about it. Oh my gosh, we'll be here for an hour just for that one. Um, A lot of people want to hear it, so. (laughs) Well, I know. And you know, here I'm going to tell you because it kind of goes cyclical. I've, I've worked for eight airlines. And the only reason I became a pilot is because I was playing a game when I was nine years old uh, called Careers. And it was a so back then it's an old game, you know, very politically incorrect. You could be a librarian, a school teacher, a nurse or a model or a hostess. And so all my girlfriends were sitting on the floor playing and they all wanted to be hostesses. And I did, too. You know, it's a, uh, for for the younger viewers. Those are flight attendants back in the day. OK. <laughs> and so um, I could not get on the hostess spot. And I finally said, I don't care. I'll be the pilot. And my girlfriend, Colleen Moore, said, you can't be a pilot. I go, yes, I can. She says, no, you can't. My dad's a pilot and says, you can't do it. And, I, and I'm and i like, yes, I can. So I told everyone's going to be a pilot. And my personality is once I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to, you know, I can't back down kind of thing. And so that's where it started. No. Hello and welcome. I'm Liz Booker, literary aviatrix on social media and host of the Aviatrix Book Club. Today I'm on with Carlene Pettit, author of the Flight for Aviation thriller novel series about her book, Flight for Control, which is the Aviatrix Book Club discussion book this month. And then when I took my first flight at um, probably 16 and I and the instructor we were like walking around the airplane, he was just going to take me out for an intro flight. And we're walking around the airplane and he's showing me things and kicking tires. Kind of, we get in and he taxis out and gets on the airplane on the runway. And he says, you've got it. And I go, I don't have it. I don't know how to fly. He says, I'm going to show you. And so he let me at 16 years old, take this airplane down the runway and rotate. And that moment I thought, wow, they're going to pay me to do this. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> you know, so it's first for a teenager, probably the most empowering thing you do is put a teenager in an airplane and let them know how much control they have over their lives. But the irony of this thing is because now, well, you're the first one to know, uh, officially publicly, I retired on the 31st of January. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I just decided after how many years after, oh gosh, uh, well, it's been over 40 years because it was, uh, yeah, I should look at the total years because it was 24 years with, with Northwest Delta alone. So yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. It was time to just 
to jump out and, 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 but now it's kind of fun because now with that story, the irony of this whole little thing is I've never been able to tell who my girlfriend's dad worked for, who said girls can't be pilots. She was a Delta pilot. <laughs> and, and so daddy was a Delta pilot and that was a culture there. And so now here we fast forward, you know, I go from starting to fly and I, and I fly for Evergreen and Braniff and, uh, Gu- uh, Guyana and, um, coastal airways and Northwest and, you know, and America West. And, and I end up all these airlines and I end up at Delta airlines. The <laughs> very airline that I'm retiring from was the only reason one of their pilots said girls can't do it. What and a great story. They kind of have that same culture down there, but we're going to go down that path, but it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's a culture. It's the, it's still the deep South and we're, you know, we should be, you know, sweet and nice and, they, they right. tolerate us as long as we keep our mouth shut. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's really fun to go the full circle and see how your life started and how it connected to that. And so, I can't imagine that you did keep your mouth shut. Uh, well, I didn't. It got me in a lot of trouble. And, and But the fun part is, and you can learn about the books, is is the first novel had nothing to do with me not keeping my mouth. I just foresaw things going on in the world. And then the second book, The Flight for Safety, was when Northwest merged with Delta. And I was an instructor and I'd been flying on the 330. And I'm thinking, wow, there's some serious training issues here. So that first book just merged with the second book perfectly. And I got to put real life things that are going on down there. And then, then the fiction started following the reality of what's going on. So yeah, so there's, there is more truth in the novels from, from safety to present time that there, you know, it's like, I am going to write a book called fight for safety, the truth behind the flight for series. And, oh. and each section is going to be a chapter of, okay, readers, what part of this was true? Oh, and, that's excellent. Yeah, How, I can't wait to read that and to talk about all your books. How awesome. Yeah. So, so my, my journey has kind of been later years, uh, the Delta years has been documented in the later novels. And, mm-hmm. um, and the first novel, Flight for Control, is kind of my history of what I've seen when I started flying and where I projected this industry to be going and the issues. And yeah. yeah. So I want to say I'm so excited to talk about this in the Aviatrix book club this month because it brings a kind of a fresh perspective, a little bit of diversity in terms of roles and topics uh, that then you know, what we normally read, you know, sometimes we say that we kind of are all of the, especially the pilots who write memoirs are kind of telling the same story, which is not true. Everybody has their own unique story, but there are common themes in all of them. And some of those themes show up in this book, but in subtle ways, that's not the focus of this book. And so you've got this aircraft investigator and and she's, you know, been home being a mommy for 10 years and she gets back in to the job. And so I just kind of really loved the premise of this book. And I'd love to know like how you got into that mindset of an aircraft investigator for the book. Well, you know what, it's, it's the characters because see, we might back up a little bit because when I went to a writer's conference to try and learn how to do this and, and one of the questions they asked me, who's this book for? And, and I said, who's your book for? You'd have to know who you're writing for. And I said, I'm writing for women. I'm writing for working women for stay-at-home moms, uh, for for 
you know, there's, there's all sorts of us. Some of us really want to work and we go do it and we can't. Some of us, we feel guilty. Somebody, you know, maybe a, a, a spouse doesn't want us to. Others have to do out of necessity, but they would rather stay home and be the mom. So I wanted to do all that, but I wanted to pull an aviation theme and, and the, their mouths were dropped open. They're like, you can't do that. Yes, I can. <laughs> and they're like, no. And I, and I, why can't I do it? And the, the response was, what shelf are you going to put it on? Oh, yes. And I'm oh, thinking, yes. okay, yep. okay, I have to write for the shelf, not for the reader. And I thought right. it was kind of funny. So, but the, but Catherine's character, um, she, I've always had a passion for why things happen. That probably got, carried me through my life now. Um, I'm a, a fix it person and I see stuff and I can foresee things. And I look at it and I go, why are we going to wait till it breaks to fix it? And so as far as that accident investigation, I would love to be able to do to do that myself. I think it'd be uh, really interesting. And I had an opportunity once when I actually was working on this book, sitting by an accident investigator on an airplane. We were just sitting in the back and I was commuting someplace and we were talking and I, and I'm telling, oh, I have an accident investigation and my book, you know, and none of it, none of it is, you know, in the novel, it's like real fast forward, even in movies, you can't do the real this is what it does but one thing that he brought to realism he he looks at me says yeah he goes i actually go to the site and i believe it was a united flight that had crashed and he actually had to step into that hole and he said it's very sobering when you find the shoe because you know there was a foot to it and and i just thought wow but but hearing things like that trying to put in when she's looking in these crashes, trying to make it real personal because it is personal. And it's just not the people on the airplane that die. It's the people, the survivors that, that are dealing with this. So, um, yeah. So, so Catherine was a really fun character. And as we know, she was kind of like the, she's our, our protagonist, you know? Yeah. But then ironically, little Darby, everybody fell in love with Darby. Yeah. So, so the, the fun books, because she was the one that everyone thinks that assumes that she has this great life pilot doing everything. And she, um, you know, flying around the world and fun, fun, fun. But there's a hole in her life because she feels like she's missing something the, the, of the family, of the staying at home. And then Catherine's not working because Abby tells her, you can't. And we learn later why I can't do that. Um, but she really has this drive to go solve problems and fix accidents. And then, then we have Jackie, who wants to stay home. But as it turns out, she's going to have to go back to work. So I really tried to get the themes of 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 women in here, you, you know, did. even though it's a the guys liked it, you know, I yeah. wanted that woman, that woman, all aspects. Cause we're just not, you know, we're just not black and white. There's that so is what I loved about it, that that you showed um, the women in aviation experience from so many angles. And I should have asked you this at the beginning, but what can you give us a summary of the book? Oh, summary of the book. Oh, yeah. That was like, what I, I love when you said a century ago and going, wow, a century. Um, yeah, the summary of the book, uh, we have, uh, it opens with Catherine, this very uh, mother kind of, uh, her daughters are now teenagers. And she had, she used to be an NTSB investigator, very top investigator. And she meets Bill Jacobs. And so she meets this dashing man, they get married, they have kids. And he always tells her, you're going to go back to work one day. 
and it never happens. And then, um, and not to give away plot points, but her old boss comes in and says, we've had some major airline crashes. We need help. Can you help us? So she's torn with doing it or telling her husband because he doesn't want her to work. So she kind of goes behind his back and she solves these. She, she figures out, she solves accidents. And, and, and we learn a very uh, sinister plot. Um, I mean, how much do we get? The readers have read it's your book club for the month. But yeah, but, but, but our listeners haven't. And I actually yeah. don't want to spoil this one. Sometimes I, I don't mind yeah. doing it. But this one is worth um, actually going and reading because it is a page turner. So thanks. Well, do you do you have any problem with the cat? Because there is a the very, the very opening. <laughs> you do. And, and the joke between our, our family is because the cat always comes up. It's like, and my husband and I, we look at you, they go, oh, that damn cat. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell the readers, because I had one friend and, and she worked for uh, the FAA. She said, I had to put the book down. I couldn't read it because of the cat. Oh, let me tell you. And she goes, oh, that's not what this book's about. And I go, no, no, no. Okay. So we're going to tell the readers about the cat because it opens with the cat. We have <laughs> this husband who violently kills this woman's very dear cat, puts it in a pillowcase and buries it alive. Very bad. So where that came from is because as I wrote this book, and we know right up, we're not going to any spoiler alerts. This husband, Bill Jacobs, he's a sociopath. He's a very corrupt person. So, so I had written this book, and it was in the in a writer's group, and somebody who reviewed it said, "I don't understand. Why did he do that? He being Bill, the husband. Why Mm -hmm. did he do?" what he did. And I'm looking going, cause he's a sociopath. Didn't they? Didn't yeah, they? No, I mean, I feel well, like so clear, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, so yeah. like it, it, people who harm animals in that way, that's like a trigger for the FBI. You know, it is, right. it is a, it is one of the indicators for sociopaths. So I totally understand why well, you did see, it. That cat scene wasn't in there. So all his other behavior, all his other weird stuff was in there through this whole book. And when this woman said, why did he do what he did? And I'm thinking, cause yeah. he's a sociopath. I go, uh Oh, maybe I need to help people understand his depravity. And so we, I was added perfect. that to cat chapter scene at the very end of the, uh, the edits. I, it was a brand new rewrite, put it in there. It was and, perfect. And it didn't start out with the book like that. So no, I'm glad you did it because it did. It was a, a very excellent character indicator for what we were dealing with right away. We knew what we were dealing with, but she didn't know it. The, yeah. the problem that I had actually about that was that she didn't look for the cat very much. <laughs> the thing until we get to the end <laughs> well yeah. and you know what one of my girlfriends that, that when we were workshopping her books because when i first started doing this and 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 when my girlfriends brought that up and then all of a sudden the light bulb dawned on she says wow she goes you know what this is only a week long book isn't it True. the whole book happens in a week True. and then she thinks about it a little bit and because she has cats you know she that's that's her life she's you know, the kids are gone and the husband's gone, but she's got her cats. And so she, so this cat scene really bothered her, but then she brought up that exact same question. So we actually discussed it and thought, you know, and so there's a couple little things in there. She did maybe put the food out and and I added in because of that dialogue, a couple little indicators, but it was a week and the cat runs off a lot, you know, so <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it'll be back. But 
Yeah. Well, the cat is just one small part, but but you're right. It was jarring. So yeah, I, I don't want the, I don't want the readers to think that this is a book about mutilating animals because yeah, it just trigger happens. warning for people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just a character developer, you know. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And a very effective one. And so this book is the first of many, and I have so many questions about that. But there's you know um, an arc you have going on, and I understand that you have more books that you want to published. So you mentioned a little bit about it, but take us through the series of books as it stands now and just a little bit of the direction that you want to head with it. Well, this book, the underlying theme of this book is what I can see happening in, in in the world. It was at a time when the F when they were, they were changing the flight hours. So now they're increasing it from 250 up to 1500. So not many pilots could do this. They're taking pension loss. Uh, the whole industry is was degrading what the pilots could do, and then it was making it more difficult to even to become a pilot. And so I'm looking at this. Why is this industry doing this? Why are they breaking the, indus- the breaking the job itself? And how long would it take to break the job before you broke the pilot? Okay, so that and was. You know, there's another element of this that you refer to a lot, but I'm not sure that I fully understand, and that's the term deregulation. Can you right. just give us a brief explanation of that? Um, yeah. Uh, so, so back in the day that when the airlines all started, everything was regulated. Okay, and they had um, they and anyone could play and so what they did is they deregulated the industry and so they could start bringing new players in and um uh like new airline companies new airlines and okay. it has to be a fair playing field and because if you can imagine the airline the size of delta they could sustain and lower their rates to 20 bucks a seat and just shut down a little guy so so, I mean, it's just, it's just the country. So it's really not a significant part of this. Okay. It was just kind of what was going on, you know, kind of the beginning of this three world airlines to now, how many do we have, you know, yeah. but we're going the other direction. Interesting. So it's so all the little guys are starting to fall back. So, um, yeah, but the whole industry, the concept of this was why is a government, and airlines alike, allowing this industry to get broken. Why are they doing this? Why are they providing substandard training? Why are they Why are they making more flight hours? They, you, in the industry, there's a horrific accident called Colgan Air. And, and actually, for the readers, the accidents in this book are based on real accidents. So they're real, real accidents. I just went in and, and, and created the why to be different. But they've all really did happen. Just not why they happen, and so, so this Colgan error was the opening the prologue, and 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 in response to that, it was purely granted the pilots were fatigued, but it was a training issue. Pilots were not yeah. being trained properly, and they didn't have the proper training, didn't have proper understanding. And what the regulation did, they said to appease Colgan error, we're going to change the flight hours to fifteen hundred. And and so the world, Poppy, think, oh, that must be better, right? That'll never happen because we have pilots have more flight hours. That's not the reason it happened. But that shift changed, started to create a pilot shortage. And everybody hears about these pilot shortages, right? Yeah. So they started a pilot shortage. 
And so I'm going, why did they start a pilot shortage? And why aren't they just fixing the problem doing training? Okay. And so then when I, the second novel, which we roll into flight for safety, um, when I go into the new airline and see the training going on, now the events in the training world in that book really did happen. And uh, if the readers remember the Air France 447 crash, as this airplane floated down as a leaf, the, the, it was, granted, it was an equipment failure. But what I learned, and is in a book, four books later, is that Delta Airlines had 14 of those events. And the FAA knew, and they did nothing. So with this uh, current information, so back in, so this Flight for Safety book is all about Airbus, and we have an event of this happening. So then I start my PhD because I'm looking at I'm looking at the stuff with this training and I'm looking what's going on at Delta and I'm thinking something doesn't feel right because we're supposed to be reducing uh, risk, not increasing right. it. We should be training. Nothing made sense. So I started my uh, PhD and then so then we have the flight for Santa or no actually that was flight for I got to look survival and that's kind of just a little fun book with a lot of the issues going on. But it was right at the beginning of my PhD. So it, it, the characters are there. What's your uh, degree in? What's your doctorate uh, in? Aviation safety. Okay. So, oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, so, so that one has kind of the same theme of identifying what the problems are. I put a little drug smuggling in there because it really did happen once again. You know, and the readers go, whoa. Yeah. So, so there's a mm-hmm. lot of truth in these things. Um, and I can't give a plot point away on that one. And so then... I'm like fighting for safety and my character is fighting for safety and Catherine is fighting to create regulation change. And I'm kind of now both characters, but then I'm also kind of the Jackie character. I'm not the flight attendant, but I'm mom. And I've, you know, trying to do the mom things with, with all this. So what happens is I'm working on my PhD thinking there's gotta be something more. And I learn about safety management systems. It's a risk mitigation tool and it became a federal regulation. So I'm like working on my PhD, writing my books. And then I go into um, put a 54 page report together and I gave it to my company. And holy cow, did the world fall apart. First, I was warned two months before I went in there. They delayed, delayed, delay. And what ultimately happened, which is in the sanity book. And my I have a flight for sanity is uh, which parallels is they, my airline paid a doctor $74,000 to give me a false medical diagnosis. So I didn't fly for two years and because of this. So, but it's, but the plot points are in the book. And so then we go into flight for truth and flight for truth is Darby. It's, they did this to her cause she's fighting for it. And so she and Catherine on the inside of the FAA, we've got a lot of the FAA issues, what's going on in the political realm of this. So the flight for truth is her journey while she's out trying to get back. Now, like in that book, you know, this is where the truth is. During this time, I had just been pulled for uh, mental health. I'm not allowed to fly. But on this, at the same time, I am German wings had just crashed. The pilot who suicide went into the mountain and I'm on a news radio show. They're calling me and I'm on a podcast like this with a doctor and we're discussing these issues and and nobody knows on this news podcast that I had just been pulled because they're going oh she might be like that German wings pilot because she's uh the reason they did it I was overly concerned for safety oh yeah Um, yeah and I was too emotional too emotional overly concerned for safety because um 
So, so this is going on. And then I'm also out speaking at aviation seminars, but all this is in flight for truth. Mm-hmm. And then the book that just came out that we'll be marketing this month. And, and actually it missed the conference last year, but it's called flight for discovery. And so the fascinating thing is, um, because I filed what they call an Air 21 case. My character in the book does the same thing. We haven't got her results yet because we haven't got the justice book. But in that book and in the real life and the real story behind the scenes, when we filed this case, uh, Air 21 is the whistleblower law. We went into um, discovery and the doctor that they paid, we don't know why. Maybe he was arrogant. Maybe he thought that Delta was going to give the information because they're legally required to, but he gave us all emails. We found out that they were in a hotel room in Chicago for 10 hours creating a strategy. We learned that that's where we learned that they paid him $74,000. We learned that, um, that that's where I learned that Delta had 14 of those events because apparently when I wrote a safety blog about Air France, to prevent future accidents, that hit, hit a nerve because they had 14 events and the FAA knew and they didn't do anything about it. And they could have prevented that crash. The FAA could have prevented that crash. So all these things are in these novels. Okay. And, but I have the fictional characters and um, yeah. So it's, so it's, it's, it's rolling into one to another. Now, um, not I, have, to hold on. I have so many questions. <laughs> hold on. Oh my yeah. gosh. Okay. So first and foremost, you mentioned a new book. When did it come out or when is it launching? Well, the, the new book, it actually came out. It, it was published a year ago, February. And okay. it is a six in the series flight for discovery, where we learn the truth okay. behind how they did the, everything they did in the sanity book and the flight for truth book. We kind of learned, but ironically, all this is tied to that first novel. Well, it is. I mean, it all sounds like it is. And I'm like, I cannot wait to follow this saga, but I, so this, (laughs) but this situation, tell me there was a lawsuit and you won. Well, yeah, there was a lawsuit. It's called the air 21 law. And I might reach out to you and your readers. When we do this, the law needs to be changed. It mm-hmm. is, it's an OSHA statute. It's the only law that only has compensatory damages, not punitive. It's the only OSHA statute. Uh, nobody's held accountable. You can only sue the airline. And so typically it's like $50,000 compensatory. You only get reasonable attorney fees, not all of them. So no empl- airline employee can go out and, and get a attorney on contingency. They got to pay for it themselves. So I did. We dug in. We filed it and we, it took, it was a seven year battle from start to finish. And I went after a nine day trial. Um, then a year later, the, and the out and the union was involved. So when the readers read about the union, they're going to see that they were involved in this whole thing. Um, but yes, I did win. And my judge ruled, awarded me in an unprecedented amount. He warded not 50,000, he warded 500, not nearly enough to kill your career and your life and everything, um, but 500 and he awarded attorney fees to 500. Well, Delta went and appealed. And so the, the pellet, so this trial goes to what they call administrative law judge. You don't get a jury. At first, I was a little worried about that. But this man was so intelligent and he understood aviation safety and he was such a uh, actually such an honorable character. 
I'm going to, in the truth, in the fight for justice book, I really have to, that's going to have to dig really hard to even try and create the character that he has. Cause it's going to be hard. Cause he's such a, an honorable person and he asks such good questions during the trial and the fun part in the trial, the doctor, the reason, the reason the doctor diagnosed me. And when we get to the books and, I, and that's a little shift, cause I have to shift Darby doesn't have any kids, but he stated in court, she had to be manic. No woman could do that. She had three kids in three years and was a pilot. No, no woman could do that. Okay. Wait. So I actually, yeah. <laughs> listen, I, 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 got my wings as a mother and I had three children in my career. Um, and I went to grad school and did all these things, but let me tell you something. When I hear about all these things that you do, I have to be like, so most of the women that I talk to who have written books, it's after their careers. Nobody has time to, to write a book while they're actively fly, you know, flying. And then put on top of the fact that you have children. So tell me how you did that. Well, so my first novel was actually after the kids were gone. I mean, okay. they were out and, and I started it because I had to go out. I had a hip replacement. So I thought, okay, I can go to fly. I'll go to a writer's conference. So that's how that started. And then I wrote my novels while I was at work, you know, and, and my husband, he's just, uh, he's like, uh, I told him that we're going to have to start learning to share the remote now that I'm retired, but he, he likes to sit here and watch his football and his baseball and he'll, he'll watch his sports. And so I'm like, you know, I'm not going to sit on a couch and glue the TV. So I'll just sit over here and write, you know, write and chat with him when he's watching. So it, it was, it wasn't that daunting and it's uh it's like a passion. It's fun. I've never had writer's block. I just put the words down. It's fun. It's, and then once you get them down, then it's really fun to go back and start crafting language. That's so, so inspiring. That's so, that's fun, so yeah. inspiring. I'm in awe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, for your readers, if they went out, uh, you know, this got all the way to the FAA, they, the FAA administrator uh, was one of the people who retaliated against me. He was a senior executive at Delta. He was involved. So Captain Sullenberger, actually, uh, if you recognize that name, you know, he's the one that he reached out and said, Carlene, did this really happen? I'm hearing rumors. And I said, absolutely. And he was so kind. And he said, you know, I don't think Steve Dixon should be the FA administrator. I'd like to try and stop this, but it's going to put you in the mud. And I go, you know what? I'm already there. Please. I said, do it because I don't think he should be either. How can you have an FA administrator who violates federal? aviation law. It makes no sense. So there was a big issue and, and he wasn't even working for Delta at the time. He had retired approximately six months earlier to kind of get out of the fire of what was going on with the lawsuit. And so then he goes out there and he, so he's not working for Delta for six months and they sent their legal attorney out to DC to defend him. He, he ended up getting it strict simply because you couldn't name individuals in this lawsuit. And so, but, but what happened is Delta appealed and Delta lost. And, and when they lost, Steve Dixon resigned to spend more time with his family within, I think his resignation was within two days of the, of the, wow. yeah. But what happened, which was really unfortunate and it actually kind of hit my health uh, big time is even though I, even though Delta lost their appeal and I won what this administrative review board said, which was really disheartening and wants, you know, 
but really got to change this law. Is they said, wow, that's Delta, you did that. But judge, why did you award her so much? That's unprecedented. You can't do that. She has to prove. We're going to let you go back to trial and prove all the reasons why and that, that you did this. So we set up a trial date for a year later and I'm still getting retaliated at Delta. They're still doing these little insidious things. Nobody's been held accountable. I've got to work with the people who did this to me. Wow. And, and it's just an ongoing. And so we're setting up for trial and I'm ready to go back because I we have so much evidence, so much evidence. And if we go to trial, Delta's attorneys might make another $2 million. My attorney might make another 100000 And me, I'd be out pain, suffering and and probably, you know, potentially could not get anything more, you know, I just, and so on paper, it didn't make sense. So this fall, I want to say maybe September-ish, Delta finally came after all this and said, will you settle? And I did. But I'll have to tell you, I don't know if it's the psychology of that that took my health, but I feel like I made a deal with the devil. And logically, it makes sense. Don't go to court. You know, I wouldn't recommend that for anyone because it's not on your best interest to go to court if you don't have to. But and I knew we were going to win and I knew they were wrong. But settling felt like I let them get off the hook. Yeah. And but it was really the law. This law let them get off the hook because all the individuals who were involved all the way up to the CEO's involvement. And, and and when the readers get the Flight for Discovery book, they'll learn why the CEO's involved. <laughs> but but nothing. Are you concerned about the company suing you for these books? Uh, no, because I've been writing them while I've been there and they've all been fiction. And when I, when I retired, one of my personal things is uh, I know everyone has to do what they do, but I will I'm not when I retire, when I settled, I did not sign an NDA. Yeah, I, that, I, that's another question. And, I, and I yeah. refuse. I, w- I refuse because then we're silencing and allowing people to continue on. So I didn't sign an NDA. So my decision making to retire is my health has suffered greatly from this. The law needs to be changed. And well, it's and, and I had a little over four years to go. So it, it's mm-hmm. not that much. But I realized that I can do more good on the outside of this company than inside. They're not going to ever change. They're not going to do anything. So on the outside, I can speak to the issues. This is the first time that I've ever spoken and said, Delta did this and this. Yes. First time ever. So readers, you you know, listeners, you're here. (laughs) Wow. So, Yeah. Carlene, and just what an incredible journey. And and my heart goes out to you for the fight that you chose to fight and, and the righteous um, fight that it was for you. Thank and I'm you. sorry that, that things played out that way for you and that you had to suffer the way that you did for as long as you did. Thank you. Well, I, have, I have to tell you one thing that I learned because I went to their doctor and then I had to go to my own doctor. And I mean, you'll find out there were bought off doctors and, and a whole deal. But I went to the Mayo Clinic aviation department. If anyone in aviation ever needs help, these people are fabulous. But right off the bat, uh, the, when the psychiatrist comes out to lobby, you know, I'm nervous thinking, listening to two songs, one from my professor, the fight song, you know, it's like stand up and write, write song. And the other one from my girlfriend who says, 
you know, just be held by casting crowns. It's like, okay, you're, you can fight all you want. You can do all you want, but now my life's in these people's hands, you know? And he comes out and he says, smiles. He says, he says, you're quite an accomplished young lady. Nice to meet you. And I said, thank you. But did you read that doctor's report? And he smiles. He says, we all did. We all did. He says, and we know a political corporate action versus a medical diagnosis. Wow. He says, but we're not here to go down with the, with that. We're just here to assess you. And one of the things I learned, and which is I'm going to tell for your readers, I didn't realize how impacting the fact that I was writing this out while I was doing it was so helpful. Yeah. You know, whenever you go through a trauma, uh, you're abused, rape, work issues, anything. If you can, you know, they say to journal it. My journaling went a little bit further because I, wrote it and published it, but it was the same concept because yeah. you, you get it out of you. And in what the interesting thing in the book is because I go into the character heads, the bad guys, I get to write their motivation. So it's not a, the book is not written one direction, uh, poor Darby, wah, 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 poor me. You get to go into the characters and go, oh, that little bitch, she can't be doing this because look what she's doing. To, uh, you know, so I, I get to, get their motivation, why they're doing it too, you know, and, yeah. and granted, I'm, I'm just only surmising why they did what they did, but it was true help, uh, health. And I didn't realize it until, uh, when the doctor's in there, he asked me and I, when I was going through this process at Mayo for three days and I walked in and he's looking at me speculative and he says, what have you been doing? He says, you are, he says, your composure he says, anyone who has gone through what you have gone through should be an absolute wreck right now. He says, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I told him was about this book. And I also told him, you know, when we have life-changing events that uh, we our life's not over. It just could be different. And so I shared a chapter in the book. And I said, one of my characters who's me, who's, I actually have a, a master's in human services, which is a counseling degree. So my counseling degree character is telling the pilot character, you know what? They may very well get away with this. Yeah. And, but your life's not over. It's just going to be different. You know, so if everyone can always know, no matter what's going on in their life, they may have a job loss. They may have a spouse loss. They may, may lose a child. Your life's not over. It's just going to be different. And to help you get through it, write it, just write it, you know? And I hadn't realized when I was doing that, but in retrospect and having that conversation with him, pure, pure therapy. And what have I not been doing? I haven't been working on my next novel for the last nine months because we've been dealing with going to trial. And so I have to get back into, into, I have to get back to my writings because it's my therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's such a great message. I love all that. And, and, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do here is to, you know, encourage and inspire and provide the tools for other women in aviation to tell their stories in whatever way I love, you know, I love the way that the direction that you took it for yourself. It's like, you know, Patty Bear wrote a book about her Mennonite childhood and she called it um, an accountability project. I feel like you are doing this. This is an accountability project, but you're able to do it in a, in a fictional way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and, and shed light on the truth without having to say all of the truth. Um, and I think that's very creative. And I think the, the suggestion or, um, the, you encouraging people to just write, I feel like we should all do that anyway. 
Um, whether we're going to publish anything or not. Like if you write throughout your career, you write about those experiences, you write through the hard stuff, you write some of the fun stuff, then you'll have these volumes of, you know, stuff about like how you were feeling then. And, you know, you'll have those memories if you choose to do something with them to draw from. I'm one, I have a question on that topic. Is there a memoir in your future? I don't know. Actually, the flight to success is kind of a little bit because it's stories of of my life and and that I tried to and and my experiences, but others. So I don't know if there will be, you know. But I'm yeah. the proponent of never say never, you know. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I have so many other things. Let's put it this way: I have so many other projects first that I wanted to accomplish. So yeah. so we'll we'll see. I heard another interview with you where you're kind of talking about where the rest of this book arc goes and talking about automation and moving toward. And so like these, these issues that you address in this book, which was written over 10 years ago, and that you obviously kind of carry these threads through the rest of your books. So what direction are you moving now with the stories? What are your concerns about the aviation industry and, and what are you going to highlight? Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent because at the very beginning of this, I kept wondering, why are they doing this? You guys are creating a pilot shortage. Why would you create a pilot shortage? Then when I got into the PhD and I learned about next gen, it was supposed to be, it's when we get fully, fully automated. It was supposed to be, uh, uh, 2223. And we were going to have an unprecedented set of accidents during this time frame because this is when next gen was supposed to be in, but because of security and they haven't got there. So now they're crying pilot shortage. I firmly believe that the, this whole, you know, okay, so now, now they can't call me paranoid, but, but I'm looking at a pattern, but here's the thing. This industry, airlines, regulators, manufacturers, they're going to automated aircraft. That's where they're headed. And at the very beginning, I wondered, why are you doing this? Why are you promoting and creating a pilot shortage? Then we get into why is the training so bad? Then we get into, why do you have so many air safety reports and you're not doing anything about it? Why are you allowing airlines to crash even though you have um, regulations that you're supposed to mitigate risk? You're still doing it. It's all talk. And so the whole cycle of this whole thing is the airlines and the regulators are going to pilotless aircraft ultimately. But And, and we have FedEx and UPS. They're allowing it to happen now. They're going to... Um, eventually see two pilots turn to one pilot. They're going to see on, on the international four pilots, we need three. On those flights that need three, it's going to go two because they're what they're doing is they're gathering data for how many incidents we have and they're blaming the pilot. It's really training. My book that I wrote on normalization of deviance, a threat to aviation safety was based on my research. And I figured nobody wants to read a 389 page uh uh, you know, paper, but I put it into book and the stories and the events of pilots had over 7,400 pilots worldwide participate. And some of the stories that they, they wrote to me and said, here's what's happening over here. So I quoted them. Everyone's anonymous in that book, but I quoted them and I, and I turned it into book. This is what's going on. We have normalized, um, it's okay to have accidents and incidents and the era, they're not doing anything about it. And, and I think at the end of the day, when the 
when they get to the point where we have the perfect airplane and we have solved our technology problem, we've solved this security, wireless security issue, and we're ready to turn on and get rid of pilots, then they're going to go. And by the way, public, look at all the incidents and accidents and things that pilots are doing. They're the ones that are unsafe. We're going to make the industry safe, safer. And it's going to be a marketing. A, I believe it's going to be a marketing ploy because the reason any accident or any incident occurs is training. And the training has been going substandard all the way down. We're training literally, you get a flash drive and you're supposed to train yourself at home on your aircraft. And, and then in the simulator, they're moving away from, we used to have actual line pilots teach, and now they have, uh, some airlines still do that. And you might have a few, but they're having pilots that'll come in, maybe have never flown your airplane. They're just type rated on, they're allowed to teach. So they're not really teaching. They're just administrators running you through the motion. Yeah. And and what I learned in my research is that the more training the pilot has, the less they're apt to fly their aircraft. That was the surprise in the research. And you would think, oh, the more training they get, the more confident they would have to understand. It was just the opposite. So our training programs, the culture of our airlines are putting pilots over to not fly to use manual. And that's been in the news lately. And my husband kind of laughed. He says, because that's what my research, you know, and in 2019, I'm giving my dissertation and one of the professors is mouth hanging open. And he says, what do you think they'll do now? And I said, can I tell you what I hope? He goes, no, what do you think? And I said, well, they've known this for years and they're not doing anything. But I hope after this, we've got the data shows we need to train our pilots and teach them how to fly their aircraft. Because right now the training is just how to push the buttons. That's where we're headed. That's wow. where they're headed. They're building aircraft to do that. So, so the whole series flows perfectly at the end of the day. Um, it's going to happen. And the interesting thing is when I did flight for control, then the German wings pilot happened and everybody said, how did you know? And then I did flight for safety and air France happened. And everyone said, how did you know you're, you know, how do you know these things are going to be happening? But it's just a trajectory. So, so one of the books we'll probably have in the future is, um, well, not to give you a plot point away, but when they finally, the, the novel, can you imagine this? As long as we keep the bad guy off the airplane and there's pilots flying and the pilots have been trained to know what to do and the airplane's working, we're going to be fine. But now, could you imagine a big warehouse and, and they're, with kids, you know, they they don't even necessarily have to go to college. They're just kids out of high school that they'll work for, you know, a reasonable amount of money in a big warehouse. And each one of them is managing maybe four or five aircraft on their computer screens that you're on one of those. Now, how hard would it be for somebody to come in and buy off one of those kids? How hard it would be to access that building. The minute this happens and they go to this warehouse mentality where we're managing our flights in this room envision you know uh, 50,000 or more bombs in the air yeah like that once they get into the building or once they buy one person off and they access the the facility it doesn't matter they don't you know they may make the system impenetrable so they can't get into the fly by wire and take over that way but what if they get in that building in that room so you're going to see that novel coming that that'll that'll be here you know, in the future, but because it's a sobering thought, 
It is a sobering thought. Yeah. Um, With this concept of uh, predicting that um, we're going to go to automated aircraft, I think about the things that I'm doing right now when, you know, my, my passion is inspiring young women to join us in aviation. Do you feel like that's a fool's errand? No, you know what? Because I, I don't, because first off, I'm going to be, that, that was part of my retirement plan. Even when I retired, uh, natural, my retirement plan was to try and keep this, stop this as long as we can. Okay. I think that it's a very uh, empowering thing. If somebody has a passion, they should go down, absolutely do it. Cause it's, it really is, you know, there's challenges with the job, whether you're a man or a woman, you're, you're over, you know, depending what type of flying you're doing, if you're going out commuter or if you're international and you're not sleeping you know there's challenges but there's challenges with any job yeah but i would i would still promote it if somebody has a passion and they want to do it absolutely because it's it is really it's pretty cool to be able to you know <laughs> think about it and 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 even when i was walking around that 747 just doing my walk around i, I was always in so much gratitude and awe that this 750,000 pound machine can get in the air and fly. And who are the brains behind and built that? Isn't that cool that somebody that we had humans that could come together and put that airplane in the sky? That's amazing. Which, which I'm going to tell you readers, if anyone loves aviation history, go get the Joe Sutter's book. Uh, Joe Sutter, I think it's the history of the 747. An opportunity to meet this man. He, he, He wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, but it shows you what we don't have today. He was a man of integrity. He was a young man working for this company called Boeing. And he thought that he was going to get fired because Pan Am wanted this double-decker huge airplane that they were going to make. And so his bosses called him in and all the bosses are, oh, yeah, we can do it. We can build it. We can do that. And he went in as an engineer, this young guy, and said, yeah, no, you can't. But here's what we can do. So he spoke the truth. And in his book, he says, I thought I was going to get fired. He's the one that stayed. And all those other guys got fired. Oh, good. Kudos for Boeing, because that that decision and his ability to speak out created the Boeing. We know they they made it. They survived. They became a, 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 a company. But now in the corporate America, now everybody's silent and nobody speaks out. And why would they? Because if you speak out especially as a woman at Delta, you must be crazy to tell us what we should be doing. And, and there's a problem with that. So there's a lot of uh, really good, if anyone, if anyone has had any retaliation or any issues, there's a lot of resources out there and there's groups. Um, you know, there's a gal named Jackie Garrick who it's, she's not really tied to aviation, uh, other than that we had met, but she's in, um, was in the military and she was, she reported something and she lost her job because the person she reported came back and ended up being her boss. And yep. she didn't have the money to go to court and she yep. did it on her own. And she's got a psychological background and she, it's like oh, anyone who's in a retaliatory environment, it's like they will suffer post-traumatic stress. And she's done all this research and it's just her, her books come out and, but she formed a nonprofit and she did fought on her own. And, and so she's out on disability, not making money on disability, but has committed and dedicated her life to helping people. And so, um, there are a lot of resources since my, this came in the news and this was out 
people from all over will reach out to me. I mean, even a woman reached out. Uh, there was a wonderful uh, Seattle Times article that came out probably uh, two months ago. Uh, I could do Seattle Times, Carleen Pettit versus Delta, and you'll read it. Uh, it was probably the most comprehensive right when the settlement occurred. And from that, a woman reached out to me and her son had been a Delta pilot and killed himself because oh, he didn't wow. feel he could get help. And because if we go get help, um, then we lose our medical, yeah. Yeah. which is wrong because we can go out and go to a nutritionist and don't have to tell the FAA and we can go to a personal yeah. trainer and not have to tell the FAA. But why couldn't we go to a mental health professional just to yeah. deal with normal life stress before we break? Yeah. You know, and, and there there's, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in this industry. Yeah. Um, but for anyone who has any issues, there's so many resources and, and you can give them my email and, and I could point them in the right direction or help them or guide them because, you know, it's, it's, it's just, we, we, we can't do it on our own. And that was the most isolating thing is when I had to go through this on my own, I had some very good friends, but they worked for the airline and they were fearful too. These issues are so important and it's, you have really shined a light on something, um, you know, that, that I haven't had the opportunity to talk about this particular topic, um, in the canon of interviews that I've done. And so I think it's really relevant, really important. We have had some books, um, you know, Robin Carden is writing fiction as well. So she addressed mental health, um, also in her book. Um, so, you know, some of these themes, uh, we've touched on a little bit, but never gone deeply into them. And then your personal experience is a story that everybody should hear, understand, have access to you if they find themselves in a situation where they feel like, you know, that, that they need to blow the whistle and they feel like their job is at risk. So I think that's wonderful that you are willing to talk about it. Um, but I do just want to, before we wrap things up, I want to make sure that um, we just talked briefly about this actual writing and publishing career. You kind of already talked about, you know, the writing, why you did it, how you do it, like just hanging out at home or on the road. Um, but then publishing, tell us just a little bit about how you got your books published and, and how that's going for you now. And anything you want to tell us about your marketing um, so that our authors who are close to that can learn from you. Yeah. So, um, for, for the authors who are listening to this, uh, my very first book, if you look at who endorsed it, um, and one of the names is Robert Degoni. I, I love him. He, he's an attorney's prolific author. So, so he endorsed it. I think, I don't remember if Mike Lawson did this one too, yeah, but Mike I've had, um, and, and, and these writers are wonderful. So what I did is I went and asked them now, now Degoni's story is, is wonderful because I asked him, would you read it? And these guys are busy. So, so I mean, these authors, you're really busy. So I was so appreciative that he took the time. Mostly they will open up a book and start reading it and go, because they know there's a book, there's a book out there called in the first 10 pages. You kind of know in the first 10 pages if it's going to go or not. And so he read the entire book and he wrote to me and he said, uh, Carlene, I loved your book. I, you know, I went I, or I would not have read through the entire book. He goes, but I did not like the ending. And here's why you made Catherine a victim or you, 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 Catherine wasn't her own hero. And he says, this is probably not what you want to hear. But other than that, I loved it. And I responded, uh, that's not what I hope to hear, but that's absolutely what I wanted to hear. And I said, you're absolutely right. 
because when we have our heroes in the journey at the end of this book, somebody came in and saved Catherine. They, they came and saved her. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. No, we have to have our heroes save ourselves. Now, my hero was doing something really dumb and putting herself in peril. So what I had to do is go back and go, okay, she's doing something dumb, which we all have, but we do it for a reason. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I went back and put in the reason she did something dumb. And then I made her more proactive in how she, she knew she was doing it. She put herself down and she covered her bases to try it, even though she knew she would, could die and not make it. She was going to get out of this. You know, she didn't, she could still solve the problem. And so I re went and rewrote the, the book, but I thanked him. And what Robert said, and has always stuck with me that every reader should hear is he said, um, you're going to go far because you're teachable. Yeah. Okay? Now I've read hundreds of books. People, Oh, will you help me with my book? Of course I help you with the book. And I'm reading them and I try and give them advice. Pilots typically, cause we know what we want to do. And, and, and your book is your baby. It's like, how do you go critique somebody's child that you've just raised for 10 years? You know, it's like, or your, you know, your child's horrible. You know, it's you. It's, it's your baby. So it's really hard as a writer to get constructive criticism and listen to it. You get defensive. You want to defend what you did, why you did it. You know, if readers, if somebody's taking their time to tell you, it doesn't mean you have to do what they say. Sit back and really listen and resonate. And you might go a different path with it, but hear what they say, because there's a reason, you know. And so, um, oh, so I just want to stop you there and say yeah. that um, we have in the Aviatrix Writers Group, we have a critique group. Um, my, I lead one that involves, you know, people who had never had critique group experience before. And that was the thing, you know, that's what I told them, kind of set the tone at the beginning. You know, you don't get defensive. I, I put them in the cone of silence when we're giving them critique. They're not allowed to talk at all. And and fortunately, like they have just embraced that that, you know, that style of receiving critique and and really take it in and have applied it. And I too, like you, I I love that idea of Sending your work to an accomplished author, which I have done. I sent my work out for beta readers about six months ago. And I sent a copy to um, a young adult author who I really respect, who's also aviation related writer, Elizabeth Ween. And she came back and she was, you know, she was like, your book has a problem here. And so you're going to want to fix it. And she was right. And so I'm rewriting it. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. wonderful that you did that. Well, and it is. And, and it's like, you shouldn't feel bad. Your book has a problem. You should go, yay. Thank you. Yeah. Because Thanks for telling these, me now. <laughs> yeah. And because these people are, are really busy and, and they're yeah. really, they have given so much to be able to take their time to tell you, you know, so it's really important. And, and so, so in this book, I went to, for the writers, go to writers conferences. I did that. I, I put my flight for control and it was a finalist. And because of that, there was a, um, a publisher serendipity. Now, not the style of, she's out in New York, but not, you know, not the genre that my book would be. And she said, so we, we went out and met at SeaTac and had lunch. Okay. And she said, I love your book. I love this. And, and, and she says, but here's the problem with your book. It is so, she's the reason she loved it is because she's a pilot and she was in air, owned an airplane with people. And so she says, I love it, but here's a problem. If you publish today, uh, if you, if I, if I took it and signed it and sold it today, she said, I'm not going to sell it tomorrow. And she says, and you can 
count on unless you have done something, unless you're really famous or done something that's, you know, so newsworthy, it'll be two years before it gets to market. And she says, but because yours is so timely of what's going on in the industry, which will change in two years, she says it's going to be old. So she recommended I self-publish. Huh. That's how it looked like. So I started looking up all these self-publishing and all these, and they want money. They want, oh, give us 5,000 and then we'll edit and we'll do this. And I'm going, huh, why can't I do that myself? So I went and got a business license and I formed a company called Jetstar Publishing. And I found an individual who is an editor who publishes, who he, he used to run his own publishing, but now he kind of does stuff on own. But I just hire him to do the formatting and to edit. And so I just did this on my own because of that. And, and the thing is, because the marketing, you have to be able to market. And, and one thing that I learned in all the writers conferences is that you think that, you know, you have this baby and it's your book and you love it unless you have a platform. I learned this at the first writers conference, unless you have a platform and you're known and you have three or four other books in you, chances are they're not going to publishing's not going to take your single only kind of thing. They, they want to know what else, who are you? How many people know you? Because they just don't spend the money on marketing. You got to market yourself, you know? So um, for the writers who want to get that marketing, I was advised, get a Twitter account. I'm like, what's Twitter, you know? And I, now I have like 20,000 followers. It's like, you need to blog, you know, what's a blog? You know, what am I blogging about? So I started blogging about AV, about training when I was going on the 330. So I just started doing this, uh, creating a platform. And I haven't really, I'm a bad person because I haven't really been actively marketing my books. Carlene, you have, uh, just to, just a little correction, you have close to 36,000 followers. Oh, I do? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funny thing is when I got on Twitter, and, and I'm going to tell people, this is how you get on, how you do Twitter, because there's a, a friend of mine, and he's got a whole series of books, and he loves them. He says, Twitter doesn't work. But he hired somebody. Nobody on Twitter is just going to go open up a link. How I started developing people. I, I, I love people. I love, I love stories. I love interesting. So I thought, okay, what is this Twitter? I, I learned what hashtag aviation is. So I go hashtag aviation and I start reading stories and I, I like what somebody says. And I write to him. I said, you know, I actually read what they wrote and said, this is really cool. And I love that picture. And, you know, I'll follow them and then they would follow me back. And so I started building it that way because I was interested in people. I wasn't out just buying followers, you know, I just, yep. and it just started snowballing over the last, what we say, we called it a century, right? It's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. So it just started snowballing. And, and then on LinkedIn, I ended up getting, uh, because I started using the LinkedIn platform more to try and get research, you know, my subjects for, for my research. And so, and probably have like 20 over thousand over there, but you could look and see. <laughs> yeah. But, but, um, yeah, so marketing, you really got to do it yourself. You got to be out there, be able to speak. And then what's been effective for me, this writer conference, we have the Western Washington Aviation Fair every February. I bought a booth. I go out there every year. I love the people who are setting it up. They're just those, I've watched their kids grow up at this fair. But we go out there and started out with my one book. And then we got all the books. And I'm going to be speaking on normalization and deviance this year. And I just sell books and talk to people all day long for the whole weekend. And if, if somebody ever analyzed the cover of a book, that's another thing. Authors need to learn how to do marketing with their covers. 
that's that, that to figure out and get the right cover that instills emotion of what the theme of the book is about and the colors. Uh, there's certain colors that people will gravitate to at a bookstore. You know, there's um, it's really important. And apparently there's an entire science behind that. Um, I'm just really fortunate that that I love photography and painting and I have a, a little bit of that artistic gene so I can kind of feel it and see it. You know, so so it just comes naturally to me. But if you if that doesn't come naturally to you, get help on how to get the book that that will jump out to you, you know, that they go to it. That, that even if they don't know what it is, they see it on the show, on the table with 10 other books. But that's the one they're dr- driven to. So, Carlene, thank you so much for sharing your story and for all of your advice for writers. Remind us where we can find you. Uh, you can find me at CarlenePettit.com. It's not a really professional website. It's a, uh, it's a blog spot, but you can find me there. You can find all the books. Uh, follow me on Twitter, Carlene Pettit, or on LinkedIn, Carlene Pettit. So, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Join us in the Aviatrix Book Club next month as we celebrate the history of women airline pilots with the book Saris to Stripes, True Stories of Commercial Women Pilots in India. Sign up for the Literary Aviatrix newsletter to stay up to date on book news and discussion dates and times. I'd like to thank the Women's Soar Group for their help in producing this video. The Women's Soar Group is a media company that gives women a platform to express themselves. Blue skies and happy reading.